So Christ has to be on the throne in order to live like Christ. And we're going to see his example right here in Luke 2.52. Who would like to read that? Relax. Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and all the people. Cool. So Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. We call this balance. All right? So I'm going to draw a little bit of a diagram here. And, okay, so over here you have wisdom. Over here you have stature. You guys know what that means? Physical. Yeah, physical. We're going to go more into it in this talk than we ever have, so it'll be really good. We're really going to define this well. And then uh, relationship with God. And, uh, and then relationships with others, right? In our lives, if any of those things are off balance, everything else is off balance as well. If we don't have each of these things in their right place, we're going to be crashing and burning as leaders. So today we want to talk about the leader's balanced life, right? The leader's balanced life. Because until we can get all these different areas of our life balanced, we're going to be suffering as leaders. You might be the greatest evangelist in the history of the world. I doubt you will be, because Jesus himself <laughs> was an evangelist, right? But you might be a great evangelist, but if your physical life is not where it needs to be, then you're not going to go very far, right? If you're unhealthy, if your time is not managed well, if your resources are spread thin, if you can't budget your money, if those types of things are off in this area, you're not going to be able to maximize your effect for God as a leader. And if those things are where they need to be, but your relationship with God is suffering, obviously when we say that, we say that realizing that your relationship is secure with God. So let's say your fellowship is not where it needs to be. If that's the case, again, nothing else is going to be where it needs to be. We talked about that the second week of this class, how your number one ministry priority is your walk with God. That's the number one priority. If that's off, everything else is off as well. And it could go like that for any one of these different areas of leadership. So as we started, I wanted to talk about how they all have to be balanced. And if they're not balanced, we're in big trouble. You guys all draw that little diagram on your papers? Okay, so take good notes because I don't have notes for you today. And that's intentional. I wanted you guys to write this stuff down, because a lot of this today is extremely important, and I'm not joking. Some of these principles could make or break your life. They could be that important. And a lot of these actually might be reviewed for some of you. I know, Stephanie, you've gone through a lot of stuff like this, but no matter where you're at in all these different areas, no matter what you've learned or done in the past, pay attention and take notes. It'll be really good. So Jesus grew in that in all those areas, right? Growing is a process for each one of us. And Jesus, when he was God in human flesh, grew just like we do. Obviously now, glorified with the Father, back with the Father, he does not need to grow. But each one of us does. Cloud and Townsend, in Changes That Heal, say that growth, you remember this? Comes from what? Any of you guys remember this? That were in my Bible study last year. We went through the workbook. Grace. Was truth. Yep. Jackie said that, right? Yeah. Over time. Yeah, Brandon. Grace plus truth over time. All right. So when we talk about growing in each of these areas, like Jesus grew in each of these areas as a man, we need to realize that it's going to take some time. You're not going to become perfectly balanced in these areas overnight. It's going to take a long time. In fact, many years after graduating from college, nine years after graduating from college, I still have a ton to grow in in all these areas. And I'm pretty sure that nine years from now, it'll be just the same. And I think every time a new life development occurs, this gets so radically shifted, it takes an entire couple of years just to get back to minimal balance, right? So when I got married, it was like that. I remember after getting married, it seemed like my quiet times just took a nosedive, and I couldn't figure it out. I was waking up early, but 
I was trying to schedule. It just seemed like I was off for two or three years. It wasn't just like that. And I'm not saying it has to be that way for you. It's just it, it was really hard for me, maybe it's how I'm wired, to figure out the right balance in all these areas after that dynamic event, right? The equilibrium got shifted. After having kids, it was the same way. And it still is, with, with kids waking up at ridiculously early times. This morning, Aaron and I slept in until 6.30. Most college students would not call that sleeping in, but that was a dream. <laughs> I, was, I was loving every moment of it. And then I was also secretly begging God to let our kids sleep in also, but not the case. Well, I guess they did. They didn't wake up before 6.30, which is kind of unusual. But, man, 6.31 or 2, I mean, right after we woke up, Kara woke up. And it's hard to, to get your balances, especially in your walk with God in that fellowship with him daily when these different events come up. So be patient with yourself. That's kind of what I want to get at is it's going to take time, and it's going to keep shifting. And sometimes you might feel like you're losing ground. Don't get overwhelmed by that. Just keep your eyes on Christ, right, Hebrews 12, and keep focusing on grace and truth over time. You need to give yourself grace when you're in those places, right, and realize that it's him that's working in you, to realize that his favor on you, his blessings in your life, his desire to use you in ministry as a leader do not depend on your perfect record and all those areas of balance, right? But he's chosen to use you as a gift. Paul says that in Colossians 1. Remember, I think we read that last week or the week before, that it's his gift to you that you get to serve him in ministry, all right? And then also, truth is important as well. So don't just blow it all off and say, ah, God will use me regardless of where I'm at. So I'm not going to do anything. What we're going to talk about today is some of the truth that you can apply in your life in all these areas to live a balanced life that God can use effectively, okay? So grace and truth over time equals growth. And I hope that you'd remember that when you think of how Jesus grew and, and then follow his example in growing in these areas. So I want to talk about how Jesus grew in relationship with God first, then relationships with others. So we're going to do them in a little bit of a backwards order from what's mentioned in that verse. Uh, then we're going to talk about, after that, how he grew in wisdom, and then in stature. We're going to talk about each of those areas and a lot more about what they mean than just a single word. So first of all, a lot of us know what it means to grow in our walks with God because we're leading in different areas in ministry, and that's hopefully a prerequisite. Sometimes it's not. We definitely had somebody in a, leader, in a leadership position at one point in this ministry, and not a staff person, but a student leader, and they were not a Christian, and then they became one. So it was interesting. I was doing some follow-up with a guy a couple years afterwards and said, so when did you first begin walking with Christ? And he told me it was the year that he was leading in that capacity. <laughs> I thought, really? How interesting is that? Right? So I would assume this is a prerequisite, and I'd hope that that type of thing doesn't happen all that often. It was bad on our part to let it happen. But anyway, assuming that a relationship with God is something that you as a leader has, the number one thing that we talked about a few weeks ago is our daily time with him, right? Ravi Zacharias said, if you fail there, you will fail everywhere else also. Do you remember that quote? If you fail in your personal time with God daily, you fail everywhere else as well. It's extremely real and scary at the same time, right? It's terrifying in a sense because the problem isn't that if I fail in my walk with God and my fellowship with God, I should say, it's not that the ministry comes crashing down. That's, I don't think, what he's getting at there. A bigger failure is when the ministry happens, but it happens in my own strength, right? Because then it's nothing more than, than human ambition. It's nothing more than human pursuits. It's not God. So Jesus, what was his example as far as his relationship with the Father? Mark one thirty-five. Jesus spent quality time with the Father early in the morning, before the sun even rose. A lot of times people say, I'm just going to have my quiet time at night before I go to bed. And obviously there's no verse that says you must spend time with God in the morning. And if you don't, you're going to hell. <laughs> okay? Thank God there's no such verse. But the reality is, is if you look through Scripture, Jesus gave us this example. King David gave us this example. But waking up early to set your day on the right track before anything else happens, building that foundation for your day 
in time with God, in time in the Word, with time in prayer, is fundamental to that one aspect of balance. Beyond that, though, Jesus did only what the Father directed, only what he saw the Father doing and how he saw the Father leading. That's in John 5.19. We need to be the same, right? We need to be living our lives according to his will, not our own. So that's kind of a brief summary of this one area of balance. Obviously, many more areas come into it. And since, again, you're leaders, I'm assuming you are there. And if not, talk to me. Get some accountability and start going in that direction, right? But your walk with God is more important than any other thing. And it really has to be the foundation for all the other balances in your life. Some of the other balances that we're going to talk about are balances that take a lot more talking. So we're going to go on to those right now. After, So you have your relation. I'm going to put your walk with... God, just to keep the relationship semantics correct, right? Because your relationship was secure. So I'm going to put walk with God here. I'm going to put fellowship. Actually, no. Because that's going to come. I'm going to put relationships with others here. Relationships. Okay. And then we're going to go into stature. Wisdom and stature. Megan! Man, I am so proud of you guys for being here. Because <laughs> that was a, a long retreat, a great retreat. And I know you have a million things to do. So I'm really excited that you're here because it's going to be a good day. You too, Megan. Uh, so, anyway. We just talked about Megan, Luke 2.52, and Jesus' example of balance in all areas of life. We discussed the first of those areas, which was his example of daily fellowship with God and only doing what the Father directed. We kind of briefly summarized that because we're going forward, talking about a few of these other areas in maybe more depth than we have in the past, at least in most situations. So, relationships with others. As we think about our relationships with others and growing in those areas, just like Jesus did to become the leaders that he wants us to become, fundamentally you can't invest your life in people that you don't know. So relationships are a prerequisite. Remember, they're one of the letters in the acronym of leadership. It's the R in leadership, the acronym that all of you love so much. We're going to have more acronyms in this class and more today even, so be ready. But anyway, relationships are key. So Jesus grew in relationship with God or in fellowship with God, but also in, in relationships with other people, in favor with men or with people, right? So as we think about investing in our current relationships, again, I should invest in my first love, which we just talked about, my walk with God. Then I think it's important to invest in my family. That's key, and to grow those relationships. Sometimes I've been negligent of that, especially as it concerns the family that I grew up in, right? I've not put enough time into my relationships with my brothers and parents, aunts, uncles, cousins, etc. And a lot of times I've mistakenly believed that ministry takes precedence over those relationships. And I think that both can happen. It doesn't have to be either or. It can be both and, right? And now as a father of two beautiful daughters and a husband of a beautiful wife, I need to be investing in that family first before anything else, right? And to be cultivating those relationships. That's why as soon as we're done here... We're heading to the train station for the second night in a row because <laughs> we want to see the train back up. It's kind of important. You know, we've been excited about the train for a couple of years now. Now it's exciting to see it backing up. It's a new thing. So anyway, family. And then next, friends. Okay, So invest in friendships. And there are a few different areas of friendships that I think are important to invest in. Right? We need to invest in close relationships. Right? I think a lot of times as a leader, and you can... Take this to the bank, guys. A lot of times as a leader, you're going to be one of the loneliest people alive. Did you get that? I hope it doesn't scare you. <laughs> you can be lonely in leadership because sometimes, one, people might think you're unapproachable when you're not. It's true. People think, oh, you're the leader. I can't call you. Sometimes people will call me. I'm so sorry for calling you. Am I like the president or something like that? <laughs> you could call me. You know what I mean? I'm okay with being called and talked to. Uh, a lot of times people feel like you're unapproachable, even if you try not to be unapproachable. Uh, a lot of times people feel like there's a gap. 
A lot of times you don't feel like you can let your hair down, so to say, quote unquote. I know a lot of times it's hard to be real and authentic if people see you as the leader because you feel like you have to lead by example. And I think it's important for leaders to do that, to lead by example, but that should involve being real and authentic, right? A lot of times it's hard for leaders to be understood by others because when you go through what you went through last year, I've talked about this a lot, Brandon, but when you go six weeks and nobody's showing up at your Bible study, there's some internal frustration. There's some internal agony. There's this introspection going on. Is, is, am I the problem? Am I the reason people aren't showing up? Am I cut out for this? Is this ever going to work? Am I a failure? Is God mad at me? I mean, we'd never admit thinking those thoughts, but I'm sure they go through our minds, right? And a lot of other people that have never taken that step have no clue what you're talking about. And the second you're a leader, you're setting yourself up to be the one that's getting gossiped about, slandered about, talked about, right? I mean, every pastor in this town, I think, Sunday afternoons get more gossip and slander than, than any politician in this country, right? Uh, so I'd encourage you not to do those things. But then also, as leaders that are growing, I want you to know that that's what you can expect. And a lot of times that creates feelings of loneliness. Remember what happened to Elijah. We talk about this miracle in Carmel. And then he thought that he was all alone. And he even tells this to God, how he's all alone. And God reminded him that there was a remnant of others just like him that were, that were also there. That he was not alone, but he felt that loneliness. And you will too. So invest in close relationships. When I think of close relationships that are very important to me, I think about, one, my brother... We've been together our entire lives. We've gone through everything together. Nobody else has been through more with me, and I need to invest in that relationship. I need to invest in accountability relationships like Austin, who's at the same place as me in life. We're both in full-time ministry. We're both married. We both have toddlers, we, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so we have an accountability relationship, and we enjoy each other's company a lot. A lot of times it's hard to take the time to sit down and talk to each other. You know, it's been a few weeks since we got on the phone and just talked. But that's necessary, right? I also want to invest in close relationships with you guys. You guys are our ministry, but that sounds detached. It's not just that, you know? There's nobody I'd rather hang out with. I can't, I mean, Brandon, a couple weeks from now we're going to shoot an elk, hopefully. Hopefully we're going to shoot a few elk. Me, you, Joseph, you, us. And hopefully Jack will shoot one too, but next season. <laughs> and hopefully we'll be with him. At least hopefully you help us pack one out. But I want to invest in those other relationships, too, with you guys. I want to build some close relationships where when I'm feeling like I'm down, I can talk to you guys, where you can encourage me. And you guys have been there to support me at times when I felt really just completely shot. I remember last year, uh, after that whole debate thing and after I was getting threatened with lawsuits and all that, you guys were encouraging me a ton. So I'm very thankful for that. So relationally, we invest in our first love. Notice these all start with F's, too. We invest in our family. We invest in our friends. Okay, and in those friends, we can have close relationships. You're not going to have a million close relationships, so invest in some key relationships, right? You're also going to have fellowship, which Leah talked about at Connect a few weeks ago. Spurring each other on to loving good deeds as believers, meeting with other believers and encouraging each other in our faith. Not just hanging out, but literally going somewhere with our fellowship. Actually progressing and helping each other grow into who God has called us to be. Then beyond that, evangelism. I truly believe that our relationships have to include new friends. Friends outside of our little circle. We have to be meeting new friends, and specifically friends that don't yet know Christ, and sharing with them. That's part of the relational aspect of our lives. And Jesus did this constantly. Remember, he goes to Zacchaeus and says, Zacchaeus, today I'm going to come have dinner with you. Today we're going to develop this friendship, and I am going to share with you life and truth, right? See, we need to be cultivating all those different types of friendships and relationships now, as we think about making new friends, I wanted to go through another acronym because you guys love them so much, right, Stephanie? Okay. <laughs> Do you really? I don't mind them. Oh, cool. I like them too. If you don't remember an acronym, that's fine. But I think the reality is you're more likely to remember with it than not. I don't remember half the acronyms I come up with. But then when I see them, I remember them. And after I see them a few times. 
that makes sense. So REACH, if you took the first cross-training class last semester on ministry leadership, this class deals more with specific leadership characteristics. That one dealt more with ministry events and process. And so we went through this in the second week of that class because we were talking about the funnel diagram. And the top of the funnel is meeting new people. So this is kind of a good uh, brush up, a little review here. But you can go online and get that whole class if you want. It's called Growing a Ministry by Meeting New People. And it's on the, both the blogs. It's on the website. It's all over. But the reality is it's pretty simple to meet new people. And so we have this acronym called REACH. I'm going to go with RED for the REACH. So you can just write it like that. All right. Reach. Number one is relate. Okay? So relate. Smile. Compliment. Wave. Be friendly. That's not too difficult. If you're not friendly, you're not going to make many new friends, right? So smile. Compliment someone. Wave. Nod. Say hello. <laughs> Those are all simple things that we can do. The longer you wait, the more awkward it will get, I promise. So do it right off the bat. If you ever jumped on a ski lift with someone and you don't say anything right off the bat, like five minutes up the lift, you're thinking, I should start a conversation, but we've been silent for five minutes. <laughs> Isn't that pretty awkward? Remember Brian Regan talking about the eyebrow thing in the elevator? <laughs> talking about how awkward that is. Okay, yeah, just be relatable. Be friendly right from the start. Environment is E. So in the acronym, environment. Look for things in your environment that would lead to conversations. Look for conversation starters. Might be something they're wearing. Let's say they're wearing a cross. You could ask them, hey, I like your cross. Does it mean anything to you? Is there any significance with that cross? Oh, no, blah, blah, blah. Oh, okay, cool. What about, boom, you're into this conversation right away, right? Looking at their T-shirt, asking them about their T-shirt. We had a guy with an under oath T-shirt that one of you met. Was it you, Jack? Somebody met him. Said, hey, do you like Under Oath? They're a Christian man. What do you think about Christianity? What do you think about Jesus? See, he's looking at things in the environment to begin a conversation. It's real simple. You could look at all sorts of stuff. A, a license plate. Oh, you're from Texas? I used to live in Texas. A bumper sticker. A Burton snowboard bumper sticker. Oh, you snowboard? I used to snowboard. Right? So just be observant, looking around, and seeing what's in the environment that you could begin or initiate a conversation with these people about. I remember once we were in Romania on a summer project. And I was trying to teach somebody how to share their faith, a Romanian student. And these students ended up leading the ministry for the next two years. It was pretty exciting. I went back two years later, and they were still doing it. They were still having weekly meetings, doing discipleship, doing evangelism. It was so exciting. But one of those students that we were training, I was trying to train him how to share his faith. So we went into a coffee shop, and I said, okay, right now we're going to start a conversation with those guys over there. And now we're, not gonna, we're just going to go up to them out of the blue. So let's think of something that could start a conversation. Really quickly, I realized he had a video camera. And it was similar to my video camera that I happened to have in my backpack. So I pulled it out. We walked over to him. And I said, hey, look at your video camera. It's just like mine. What do you think? You like it? And he's like, yeah, I like it. Da, 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 da. We start talking. Boom, we're in this full-blown discussion based on this video camera. We were just looking for something in the environment that would make starting a conversation not awkward. right? And then we were able to share Christ with him. Okay, so look around your environment. A is ask. Ask a question. You're in line in a coffee shop. What's your favorite drink here? Right? What's your favorite pastry? You come here often? What would you suggest? A simple question. It's not awkward, but instantly it broke through some sound barriers, and you are beginning to start a conversation with this person. Right? C is communicate. So don't just ask a question, or don't just look in the environment and say, oh, you have a video camera? That's the end of it, right? But actually start a conversation based on all this stuff. Once you've gotten to initiate something, begin asking more questions and tying things together and getting into a conversation with this person. Finally, H is help. Help someone that needs it. This year there was a girl that was walking into the dorm and dropped a bunch of stuff on the ground. Who was there? I think one, you were there, you were there. And the book on top of what she dropped... Uh, we went to help her out, right? But the book said, Hearing from God. It was a book about hearing from God. That, then, we combined with the ask one, asked her what that meant to her. It started this conversation about Christ, right? But, and then we got to invite her to some things. But the reality is it all started with going to help her. Another way that you can meet new people is by asking for help. Don't be afraid to ask for help. In fact, 
Look for opportunities to ask for help. If you're carrying a box across campus, somebody says, hey, you need some help? <laughs> Even if you don't, you might say, yeah. It's a chance to meet somebody, right? And to get to know them. Okay, so it's just a small acronym for how to meet some new people. I'm going to go through 10 quick tips on what not to do when meeting new people. Do not focus on yourself <laughs> as you're communicating and starting a conversation. Try to talk less about yourself. I would say talk only enough about yourself to continue that conversation, right? So don't focus on yourself. Don't try to be someone you're not. Just be yourself. Be real. Don't be strange or awkward. That's not fun. Don't play favoritism. Don't choose attractive, fun, popular, rich. Right? I know you guys aren't doing that, but James 2 tells us not to pick those kinds of people to hang out with. right? We want to actually make relationships with all sorts of different people. In fact, don't play favorites as far as Christianity. Don't just make friends with Christians. A lot of Christians have made that mistake, and it's not good. Don't be a quiet, antisocial loner. <laughs> okay? Get to know people. Don't stare or invade their space. Have good boundaries. Right? Don't laugh at people, awkward situations or topics. Right? Sometimes people do things, and everybody starts laughing, and I cringe. I don't want to be laughing, especially if it's something that could be embarrassing them, right? Or sometimes I'll say things that could embarrass people, and I just about want to, like, kick myself in the nose after I do it. I'm so mad. You know what I mean? Um, so be careful about that type of stuff. Don't be wordy or peculiarly silent. Don't get too deep right off the bat, and don't end there. Right? Once you get this little relationship starting, contribute. And invest in that relationship. Ask them to hang out. Go further. Okay, W, wisdom. Wisdom, there's a lot to it, and so we're going to talk about it. It's another area of balance that a leader has to have down right. That involves the intellect. Okay, I'm going to define wisdom the best I've ever heard it defined. It's applied knowledge. <laughs> Does that make sense? So it's not just knowing. You can know and not do, and then you're not wise. But... What is true wisdom is when you know what's true and then you apply the truth. You live the truth day by day, right? You can know that it's good to budget your money, but that's just knowledge until you actually do budget. But when you budget it, then it becomes wisdom. It's that knowledge applied. Does that make sense? So wisdom is knowledge applied, and I'm going to talk about those two different areas. So one, intellect and intellectual. I want to encourage you always learn. Always be learning. And that can happen with God's Word, but it can also happen in other areas. I was talking to Josh Story the other week. You guys know Josh. He's doing this athletic ministry and some other things. And he told me, he was memorizing Scripture. And he said, Scripture memory, it's kind of a lost art, isn't it? And I said, you bet it is. We can always learn by reading God's Word, studying God's Word. Meditating on God's word, memorizing God's word. We should be memorizing God's word a lot more. And then applying God's word, which is the next thing. And you can apply the other things you're learning too. It doesn't just have to be God's word, right? Um, you could learn other areas and apply those. Those other areas could be intellectual, right? For example, I read a lot of books on apologetics, but they don't have to be intellectual, they could be experiential. Like coffee roasting, <laughs> a hobby. Does that make sense? You can be learning in all these different areas, growing in knowledge, and then also growing in application. Now, here's why application is so important when you think about all this. A lot of you have heard us talk on this before. James 1.22, you guys remember what that says? Anyone? Yeah. Be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Okay? What happens when you know what God's word says and don't put it into practice? We become deceived. Isn't that scary? We become self-deceived. And it makes sense. If I know I'm supposed to give and I don't give, I start to believe the lie that I can't afford to give. And people do this all the time. In reality, Scripture says in Philippians 4 that if I am giving, God will meet all my needs. We all quote, my God will supply all your needs, but we forget the verse before that where Paul congratulates the Philippians on giving to God in the first place. And it was out of their generosity that God was being generous with them. 
We'll talk more about that under um, the stature area because we're going to talk about finances and giving. Okay? But under um, application, if I'm not applying God's word, I start to be self-deceived and believe a lie. Same with evangelism. God's word says share my faith. If I'm not sharing my faith, I start to believe people don't want to hear the gospel, right? In reality, scripture says that the harvest is ripe and that God is drawing every one of them to himself. So I can know with confidence that if Jesus is not a liar, and I don't believe he is, every person I cross paths with is being drawn to Christ right now. Every one of them. Even if they don't know it, they are being drawn, right? And I can believe Jesus and share with them. Or I can not apply God's word and become self-deceived and believe the opposite of what Christ says, that they aren't interested, right? Okay, so wisdom is applied intellect, and it includes in growing in knowledge, both of God's word and other things, and then also an application of those things. I think when you think of leadership, never stop growing, never stop learning. The most you can ever give somebody else is what you have. Does that make sense? Jesus said that, as, that um, a student is never above his teacher, right? Uh, that's the reality, is a student can't go higher than his teacher. Does that make sense? And if the teacher isn't growing, then pretty soon he has nothing more to teach. He has nothing more to give. And I think as leaders, we need to be committed to a lifetime of learning, both in God's word but other things. The last year I've been reading a ton on leadership, and a lot of this class is coming out of that. But I've read probably eight or nine books on leadership in the last year. That's not specifically just Christian knowledge of God's word growth. You know what I mean? It's in some other areas. Most of those are from Christian writers, with a few exceptions, and most of those are based on scripture, with a few exceptions. But the reality is I want to grow in scripture, and I also want to grow in other good areas that I need to grow in, right? I also, I've also read a lot of books on apologetics this year, and even some on science, even from some of the biggest atheists in the world. <laughs> I've read uh, two books by leading atheists this year, not because I agree with them, but I want to know their arguments, and I want to be able to defend our faith against those arguments. But as a leader, you should be committed to a lifetime of learning. I would encourage you to read, read, read. And if you're like me, sometimes with my schedule, I find it hard to sit down with a book and read. So I love Audible. I will, I will plug Audible shamelessly until as long as I can. But anyway, you can get a phone, you can get an iPod, you can do it on your computer, but you can get lots of books. I mean, hundreds of thousands of books on Audible and listen to them. And you can get the entire book in a lot of those cases, an unabridged entire book. You can listen to it from cover to cover as you're doing other things. So we'll talk about that as far as time management goes in a minute here under the stature part. But you can fit that in in areas where you might just be driving, so to say. All right. So I would encourage you to keep learning. Now, stature. Stature includes physical health. health, that would include things like diet, that would include things like exercise, that would include a lot of other things that are very important, fun, right, not getting stressed out, minimizing stress, making sure that you get time to recharge. Jake, who's usually here, he told me, you know, I need those three hours before Connect to personally recharge. He goes, I kind of feel bad about that, but I really feel like I need it. I said, don't feel bad about that. That's important. You need that. It's part of growing in stature. It's part of growing physically. And a leader has to know where they're at. You've got to know yourself well enough to know what you need, if that makes sense. It's imperative that you find ways to recharge. And part of that involves personal organization so that you can recharge. If I go back to my house and it's a mess, I cannot recharge. Right? If your schedule is a mess, you cannot recharge. We'll talk a lot about scheduling in a minute, but that is important. You need to be able to minimize stress as a leader and find time to recharge. For Russ, it's his pack trips every summer. You know how Russ does these famous pack trips? He says he has to do two every summer into the wilderness for about a week, of time, a week at a time. And if he doesn't get those, he's not ready for the next year. He is committed to bow hunting because bow hunting is a way that he recharges. Does that make sense? I think each of us has to find how we recharge. For me... The big way that I recharge, I think, is the hot tub. And for a long time, we didn't have one, and God gave us a hot tub free this year. It's pretty sweet. And so uh, that's a good way that I can minimize stress and recharge. But you as a leader need those things. You also need to schedule and cultivate fun activities and hobbies, things that you can do that will recharge your brain, right? Sometimes I get so focused on ministry that I will almost die if I don't 
just disconnect and do something different than ministry for a little while. And there's always more to do, you guys. There's all, I mean, ministry never ends. There's always more. And you have to have good enough boundaries where you can say, okay, I need to stop and I need to recharge and invest in my own health, my own physical health. And Jesus did this. Again, he's our example of this, right? Many times he'd go away. And remember what he even told his disciples, come away with me and get some rest, right? They needed that time with him. They needed that time of rest uh, to recharge. I think prioritizing that is important, and that's something I have not been good at, and I need to get better at. A Sabbath is necessary. Mark 2.27, Jesus said the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So when God commanded us to observe the Sabbath and to take this day of the week just to rest, God wasn't saying you need to do it as a religious obligation, but he was saying you need to do it because you need it. (laughs) I made you, and I know you need it. And I've heard people say before, a pastor that I love says God will get his Sabbath. And he says that meaning sometimes if you're refusing to take it, your body's going to get sick and you're going to be on the couch for a week. (laughs) God's going to get it, you know. But I don't think you should think of that in a bad way. I want to get to the place where I'm prioritizing that and being obedient to Christ because he called me to do it. Check out Hebrews 4, 1 through 11. Write that down and read it. It's all about God's people today entering into his Sabbath rest for each one of us. And it's Hebrews 4, 1 through 11. And I think it's something that I need to grow in. Okay, so that's kind of on the physical health area, exercise, diet, resting, recharging, etc. Also part of stature, I think, though, is resources, right? A good way to think of those, Randy Alcorn wrote about this, is your time, talent, and treasure, Okay. All right, we're going to talk about each of those and then close it up. But your resources and part of growing in stature and who you are includes knowing how to manage your time, your talent, and your treasure, right? You have 86,400 seconds every day, 86,400 seconds a day, right? Steward them well. God has called us to be good stewards of all that he gives us, right? And we're to steward that time well. We will never get it back. You'll never get this hour back, so I hope to make the most of it for each of you, right? Because you'll never get it back. Steward your time well. Here are 10 tips for stewarding and managing your time, all right? Here are 10 tips. Number one, don't negotiate with the alarm. Don't negotiate with the alarm, okay? Don't negotiate negotiate with the alarm. Getting up in the morning has a lot to do with getting up in life, is a quote I heard a while back. I actually read it in the bottom of a phone book. But there, it's very true, right? Getting up in the morning has a lot to do with getting up in life. A couple weeks ago, I heard a student say, I am so tired. It wasn't one of you. I am so tired. Woke up at 6.30 this morning. And the other student said, 6.30 a.m.? <laughs> wow. Okay, that's a unique perspective. On, it wasn't you, right, Alex? No. Okay, good. When you get older, I am, not, I, am, I am not kidding you. When you have toddlers waking up in the morning... You will, be, you will think of people that wake up at 6.30 as like living the lavish high life of excess. <laughs> yeah, you'll be, yeah, sometimes I wake up 10 minutes late and I feel, I feel like the day is wasted already because I, I woke up at 5.55. Does that make sense? Our time is so minimal, guys. We don't have a long time to live, so let's manage it well. So don't negotiate with your alarm. Set your alarm. Put it across the room if you have to. I do. And make sure that you get out of bed when that alarm goes off. All right? Prioritize and write down your priorities. Prioritize and write down your priorities. Got it? Your priorities, by the way, are what does get done. Right? So if you look at your schedule and think, I'm not getting anything I want to get done, done, well, then you can say, what I want to get done really isn't a priority because it's not getting into my schedule. And a lot of times, even Blue Light Jazz, who wrote that? Was it Donald Miller that wrote Blue Light Jazz? Or Rob Bell? One of those guys. It wasn't Rob Bell? must have been Donald Miller. But anyway, I know in, in, one of, in one of the paragraphs, he begins a chapter saying, you know, talking about how much he hates the alarm and how much he hates being scheduled and how he really wants to just 
do life naturally and all that stuff like that. And so many college students were just loving this book. They're like, this is the greatest book ever. I love this book, you know? And I kept telling them, that's because it, I haven't read the whole thing, so I'm going to be careful not to judge. But it fits with your flesh. (laughs) Your flesh doesn't like alarms. Your flesh doesn't like a schedule, you know what I mean? But if you want to make the most of this short life that God's given you, you got to go against your flesh. (laughs) you got to go against gravity, right? And so even though this is popular and even being espoused by some major Christian authors right now to live this unstructured, unscheduled, unproductive life, God has called you to something different, to be a good steward of the time that you have. So prioritize and then write down your priorities on a schedule. Set goals and achieve them. You guys remember the acronym for SMART goals, right? Okay, hope you got all this stuff. I'm sure you did. And all these notes will be online, Lord willing, tonight. Cardinals aren't playing tonight, so work will get done. <laughs> we won yesterday, by the way. Pretty exciting. So it was cool. It was any old biter. So. Um, okay, SMART goals. If you've never seen this acronym, I don't know who first came up with this or where it's from, but it's really good. And I think it's worth writing down. Okay, S stands for specific. Set goals that are specific, not open-ended. I will read the Bible sometime. It's not very specific. (laughs) Whereas, I will read the Bible every morning. That's very specific. Measurable. Set goals that are measurable. Did you see when I just said that? It was every morning. All right? That's measurable. Did it happen today? It didn't happen today. I didn't meet that goal. Action-oriented. Set goals that are action-oriented. Okay, I could say, I want to love people more. It's not very action-oriented, right? It's not very specific. It's not very measurable. It's not very action-oriented. Whereas I could say, I want to love people more by encouraging more people this week when I see them at Connect. See, that's specific. That's measurable. It's action-oriented. This week at Connect, I'm going to verbally affirm these people and encourage these people, right? Realistic. You want to set realistic goals, right? If a goal is not realistic, it's crazy. I'm going to share with 10 million people. I'm going to share my testimony with the entire state of Texas. Okay? For most of us, that's not realistic. If you're Governor Perry, it might be realistic. But it's not realistic for me. And so I shouldn't set a goal like that. I should set something that is going to be progressive, but at the same time, realistic. And then within a time frame. Okay? Like I said, this week at Connect. This year, we're going to read through the Bible together. My family, at the beginning of the year, we decided to listen to the audio and, and audible version of the Bible. So every day, we'll turn it on. Some days we get behind, and so we'll turn on two or three. Yesterday, I think we listened to like four days worth or something. Today, though, we actually listened to three days worth and got two days ahead. Isn't that pretty sweet? So we're actually ahead, and by the end of this year, Eliana, who's three years old, and Kara, who's not even going to be two, will have heard the entire Bible. <laughs> already at this age in their life. Isn't that cool? Okay, but that's a goal that Aaron and I set at the beginning of the year. Back before December 31st, we said we're going to set this goal. We believe this is critical for our family, and we're going to do it every year. But it's within a time frame. It's realistic. It's action-oriented. It's measurable. It's specific. So I'd encourage you to set some good goals concerning your priorities that fit those criteria, right? And then evaluate whether or not you're achieving those. A goal that I set at the beginning of the year, see, now I can evaluate. Okay, I did... We have been, so far, getting that whole Bible in a year thing down as a family. That's awesome. Another goal I set, though, is to learn guitar. <laughs> but that's been on the to-do, the to-do list for like a decade. Um, I haven't taken one step towards that. But again, see, even according to this, that was a bad goal. I'm going to learn guitar. I didn't set up anything to make sure that that would happen. Okay, next, as far as managing your time, use a schedule and plan your priorities and goals into your schedule, Right? So use a schedule. Blue light jazz is not right. (laughs) I promise you, use a schedule. Steward your time wisely. It'll be good. And use different schedules if you have to. I've gone back and forth between different single schedules, and I've come to the conclusion I need multiple versions. My phone alone is not enough. A paper alone is not enough. A day planner alone is not enough. My computer alone is not enough. The wall calendar that we have up is not enough. 
but all together it starts to work. Does that make sense? So use however many schedules you need or tools or resources you need to make it happen. Uh, use a pencil when you're jotting things down in your day planner on paper. Something that you can erase and change if you need to. Obviously, if you're putting a lot of stuff on your phone, it's easy to change or online or on your computer or whatever. Use communication tools effectively in order to manage your time. You guys, phones, texting, email, Facebook, Skype, etc., chatting online, all those are good tools for communication, but they can also destroy your time. Right? So manage them wisely. Choose how you're going to communicate and when you're going to communicate and how long you're going to communicate, when you communicate. Don't get drawn into long, long, long periods of communication that, that are going to kill your time. It seems like every single time, late at night, I'll think, oh, I need to, I need to do something on Facebook, like do an invite for the students, you know, for Connect or whatever. I'll get on to do this critical ministry thing, and I'm like, just dying, man. I want to get in bed. I want to hang out with Aaron before we go to bed. And then somebody will chat. Hey, Nate, how's it going? <laughs> and usually I'll just ignore it. I'll just say, I'll just be honest, like, I really can't talk right now. <laughs> but don't get sucked into those, those um, time wasters. And obviously, if that's a relationship, going back to the relational part that you need to invest in, maybe just say, hey, let's, let's set up a time to talk, and I'd love to talk to you. But right now, I'm going to manage my time efficiently and effectively. Efficiently. That's a new word. Okay? Be willing to be flexible with your schedule. Okay? Just try to always be flexible towards what we're going to talk about in a minute, quadrant two. You can put it down. You can say schedule towards quadrant two. It'll make sense in a minute. But be willing to be flexible. If something happens that you need to be flexible with, be flexible with it. Right? Make the most of your on-time, quote-unquote. You know when, when you're best, right? You know when you are at your best. Stephanie, you are not a morning person, right? You, okay, well, Stephanie might schedule more later. I am a morning person. I'm going to schedule more earlier. <laughs> you know when your time is. Maybe it's the middle of the day. Maybe it's the afternoon, the morning, the night. You know. So find out when you're best and then schedule it there. And then not just in a daily way, but in a weekly way, right? Try to schedule important things at the time of the week when you're best. Towards the end of the week, Thursday, Friday, I feel drained, okay? So I want to schedule as much of my priorities as I can for Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, right? Maybe Thursday morning. I want to try and keep it earlier. Okay, maximize spare moments and surprise breaks. Be ready with things to do in case you get an extra hour or an extra 10 minutes, for me, if I get an extra 10 minutes, I'm going to make a phone call that I need to make. I'm going to text someone that I need to text, right? Or I'm going to try and listen to a book that I'm listening to on my phone. If you're driving to campus and you can plug a book in rather than just listening to the radio, plug a book in and see if you can uh, get somewhere with that spare time or that surprise break that you got. Usually if I have an appointment and a student doesn't show up, I'm going to get away and I'm going to prepare for a talk I have to do that week or I'm going to prepare um, for the radio show, or I'm going to listen to a book, but I'm going to manage that time. I'm not just going to sit there and do nothing with that time. I'm going to do my best to make the most of that. So be ready to maximize spare moments. Okay, the tenth uh, awesome key to managing your time wisely is evaluate yourself and your time management on a regular basis. Adjust your habits as needed. So you want to be evaluating yourself to see, am I doing a good job with how I manage my time? And I can think of a lot of ways that I'm not, right? And so continue evaluating. And then specifically evaluate after those equilibrium shockers, right? After a new development, reevaluate after that because a lot's going to come up. Okay, this is going to be huge. We have 10 minutes to go. And I think we can do it. Imagine that. Okay, here's the quadrant thing I promised you. This will be online, and it's worth, um, it's worth checking out more online, right? But here's what we're going to do. Urgency. There are two critical aspects to time management. These come from the seven habits of highly effective people, written by Stephen R. Covey. Have you read that, Stephanie? I haven't. I, I, I thought for sure you read that. Okay. On the top, we have urgency going from right to left. And on the bottom, we have importance. Okay, and this is going to be really significant in how you manage your time. 
So up here we have what? We have, is it, okay, urgency here is low on this side and high. And low, okay. So what do we have here? How urgent is this quadrant? Not urgent. Okay, how important is it? It's very important, yeah. Not urgent, but very important. Okay, just so you know, this is where you want to live. <laughs> okay, if you can maximize your schedule here, you're doing really good, okay? Okay, over here, what do you have? Higher, I'm going to put very urgent. Very important. Okay, this is the radio show. When it's Friday at 4 and I'm getting called from the station and they're saying, do you have anything for this weekend? <laughs> okay, it's urgent. Right now it has to be there and it's important. But it stresses me out like crazy. Does that make sense? So it's, it's both important and urgent. Okay. I don't like it to get here. I'd rather do it when it's not urgent yet, when it's important but not urgent. Does that make sense? So I'd rather try and get that radio show done on Monday or Tuesday instead of Friday afternoon. All right? Okay, what about over here? What do we have in the bottom left-hand corner? Importance? Yeah, not important. Very urgent. How many very urgent, not important things do you think you should do? Hopefully not a lot of them, right? Uh, it's urgent, so it's like wanting to steal your time, but at the same time, it's not very important. That might be the, hey, Nate, how's it going at 11.30 at night, right? Um, it's, chatting right now on Facebook is not that important, um, but it's very urgent because somebody just did it. You know, they just like messaged me. Does that make sense? So, okay, not important, very urgent. Again, that could be an important relationship. You should schedule time to hang out later. Okay, over here, what do you have? Low everything, yeah. Not important, not urgent. How much should you do over here? Hopefully zero. <laughs> it's inevitable. Things are going to happen over here that are not urgent and not important, but um, be careful. Um, that, that you could almost think, well, maybe that's my hobby. Well, that's not the case. Your hobby, hopefully, is not urgent but very important to you. You know, hopefully somebody's not like, get on the slopes now, Nate, right? Um, but at the same time, hopefully it's important enough for you to be uh, recharging a little bit. Okay, so this is key. Try to shift as many of your activities as possible to quadrant two. Here I'm going to put in blue the quadrant number. One, two, three, four. Okay, got it? We want to shift as much to here as possible. This is where you want to live. Have you guys heard the 80-20 rule? 80% 80 of the value of a set comes from 20% of the activities. Does that make sense? So 80% of the value of connect, let's say, comes from 20% of what we do. Think of everything we do. We do a lot. But probably a small percentage of what we do actually has the most impact. Does that make sense? And it's the same for your time. Probably the majority of your impact is going to come from a small amount of your time. And it's going to come from the time that you prioritize, schedule, and invested the right amount of time and energy and preparation into, right? If you can maximize that stuff, that 20%, you're going to maximize what it produces. Does that make sense? If you can shift a lot to this not urgent but very important quadrant, that's good. Because you're going to have a lot of things eating up your time on the other sides. You're going to have a phone call. Where would that be? That might be, um, let's see, that might be not important, but very urgent. Can you ignore a ringing phone? I guess you can, but it seems very urgent, right? Or somebody shooting you a message on Facebook, hey, what's happening? It's very urgent, probably not that important, right? So have good boundaries and manage it. If it's an important relationship, say, I'm going to shift it up here, we're going to schedule a time to hang out. If it's just a random whatever, um, there have been students in the past, and they're, maybe their gift is encouragement, or for me, I don't know. Um, but every time you get online, they want to chat. You know what I mean? 
And that's cool. That's part of their gift, and I want to encourage that. But at the same time, it'll destroy my time if I don't manage it well. You know what I mean? So I think it's just having some good, some good boundaries. Okay, not important, not urgent. So this might be like a phone call or a chat message, right? Okay, I'm getting old. I don't even know if you would say a chat message. <laughs> that work? Okay, sweet. I'm not so old. Okay, our phone call. Over here, what would this be? The not urgent, not important. What do you think? TV. Yeah, that's perfect. Perfect, perfect. Unless the Simpsons are on, it's not urgent and important, right? If maybe if there's a show that you are, you'll die if you don't see. It's uh, and Aaron and I do like the Simpsons, kind of. <laughs> tonight, I just said that because tonight, last week's episode comes on on Hulu. It's the first episode of this season. We don't follow any shows. I should I should delete that offline. We'll lose a bunch of supporters right away. Um, no, anyway, they're not all good. Some of their shows are really lame, but some are funny. But anyway, TV is not important, not urgent. Does that make sense? I can delete it from my schedule. Or if there's something that you really are following, uh, I'm not going to judge you for that. That's between you and God, and I trust it's part of your recharge. We'll schedule it. Make sure that it's right. Probably, in today's day and age, you can TiVo it, or you can check it out online. You can make it fit with your schedule rather than adjusting your schedule to it. Right? What about up here? Very urgent, very important. What would be that? Think of anything? And that very urgent, very important. I had a good one. I'd been thinking a medical emergency, but then I came up with a better example, which is a bill that's due. Okay? A parking ticket. This happens to me all the time. Or a birthday card for my parents. Holy cow, I have the entire year to write them a birthday card and send it. But usually the day before, I'm paying ridiculous amounts of money, just rocking my entire schedule to get to the post office and send it, you know? That's not good scheduling. And the, it's called the tyranny of the urgent. It's destroying my life because this urgent thing has to get done, and it's wiping out a whole lot of effectiveness. See, if I can apply those ten principles about managing time, I'm not going to get there. Does that make sense? I'm going to be able to be productive with my time and do it in a way that doesn't stress me out into oblivion. Okay, so use your time well. Try to shift as many of your activities as possible to quadrant two. Prevent firefighting, quote-unquote, in quadrant one by scheduling and being disciplined with your time before things get urgent. Try to minimize quadrant three activities over here. They're not important, um, but very urgent. Try to minimize those by planning ahead and having good boundaries. And then decide which quadrant four activities can be improved. For example, driving to campus is kind of a, a quadrant four activity. It's not very important, the driving time. At least it's important that I get to campus. Um, and it's not very urgent, at least if I left my house on time, right? But I got this 15 minutes in the car. So if I can't change that, if that's just a reality of life and you're going to have those things that are a reality of life, try to maximize it. Find a book you could listen to on the way. Or, or maybe spend some, put in a praise CD or MP3, you know, and just praise God while you're coming to campus or something. Try to maximize the quadrant four activities that can that you can improve on. And then the ones that you don't need, try to discard them. Maybe it's just playing video games for five hours. Okay, well, I can minimize that, you know. Okay, so that's the time issue. One of the other resources that you have is your talents, okay. I want to encourage you with your talents to make the most of them. We talked about that last week. So do the spiritual gift survey if you haven't. That's not all there is to talents. There's a lot more to gifts and talents. But maximize the talents that God's given you. Develop those. Remember, Paul tells Timothy in 1 Timothy 4.14 not to neglect the gifts that God's given him. And Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy 1.6, he's encouraging him a lot. He tells him in 2 Timothy 1.6 to stir up the gifts that God's given him. And the word stir up in the Greek, check this out, it's anazapureo. <laughs> I don't think I pronounced that right at all. You spent the summer in Greece. You ever hear that word? <laughs> I know it's a little different, too. But it means to kindle. Have you ever started a fire and you have to add little things on and get it? You blow on it. You add some branches. You kindle it up and get it going. Paul is telling Timothy to do that with his gifts. Do that by taking some risks. Do that by using that gift in a way you never have before. If your gift is teaching, find some ways to teach. Find some ways to learn. Learn a little here. Teach a little there. Speak a little there. Does that make sense? If your gift is giving, give a little more here. Give a little there. Give in an area you've never given before. 
but stir up those gifts, kindle those gifts, light the fire and get that fire burning hot so that God can use those gifts. And finally, your treasure. So time, talent, and treasure as far as resources, which all, I think, are part of stature along with physical health, right? Your resources, your treasure, guys, budget your money. Just like you need to schedule your time, we need to budget our money. It's important, and we can all do it even if we don't have a whole lot of money to budget, right? And this is always difficult. For Aaron and I right now, this is so hard to figure this out because our family's growing, right? The last two years, we've had so much as a diaper budget. <laughs> Eliana's potty trained, so the diaper budget has just gone in half. But at the same time, they're eating a lot more. <laughs> they're not eating baby food now. They're eating real food, and sometimes they're eating a lot of it. So our food budget's going up, you know? We have 300 and something budgeted for food, and all last month we spent like 500. So we had to eat into savings to pay for food. And I was mad about that. I was thinking, oh, this is so frustrating. Why didn't we stick within our budget? And I realized, wait a minute, our girls are growing. Imagine that. They're going to eat more food than they did a year ago, you know, when we made this budget. So your budget is going to change too, and try and be flexible with it just like you would with your schedule. But make that a priority, okay? Uh, because God has given you treasure to use for him, money to use for him. Tithe and give. 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 8, and I'm wrapping this up. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. If you want to be strong in stature... Having all your needs met, it really starts with giving and being generous, right? Giving, you'll also get. Romans 12, 8, 2, and again, I want to encourage you guys with this, says if your gift is contributing to the needs of others or giving, give generously or liberally. In other words, I think if you have the means to give generously, you should assume that that is one of your spiritual gifts, okay? And so I would encourage you, especially if you're an American living in America, Please assume that you have the gift of giving. <laughs> Please just assume that by faith. God didn't put you in the richest country in the world for you not to share those with people that need him. Um, again, if you make over $29,183 a year, you're in the top 1% of the richest people in the world. Okay? And my stats were a little off at the retreat. I went and looked these up. If you make more than $1,984 a year, most of you are there, right? That's in the, like, what is that? couple hundred bucks a month not even that it's like 150 a month right am i right 200 a month something like that if you make in that range you're in the top 10 percent of the richest people in the, uh, the top 30 percent of the richest people in the world so in the top third so even according to the world standards most of us are wealthy and we can assume by faith that we have the gift of giving and that god wants us to be generous and that he in turn will meet all of our needs and that, in turn, will contribute to us being strong in stature, if that makes sense. Okay, Paul's closing charge to Timothy about personal growth. Many of you have heard this and read this. 1 Timothy 4, 12 through 16. Don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in life, in love, in faith, and in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to preaching and to teaching. Do not neglect your gift, which was given you through a prophetic message when the body of elders laid their hands on you. Be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. Watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Okay, notice a few key things that Paul tells Timothy here. He says, don't let anyone look down on you because you're young. He's encouraging Timothy to have good boundaries. Know who you are in Christ. Know your identity and have good boundaries as a leader. And all these things that we've talked about today, if you don't have good personal boundaries, you're in big trouble. You need to have those, and Paul encouraged Timothy with them. Set an example for the believers in speech, in life, in love, in faith, and in purity. Paul is encouraging Timothy to be internally motivated. Don't wait for somebody else to come along, but you set the pace. You set the example, and that's what leaders do. They set the pace. They set the example. Other people will follow. Howard Hendricks said the measure of a man is what does it take to get you going, and what does it take to stop you? We all want to constantly be broadening those comfort zones by taking risks and by helping our flesh say no to our flesh, right? And taking steps that we weren't willing to yesterday. So have good boundaries, stay motivated. Paul said, until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of scripture, to preaching and to teaching. Do not neglect your gift again, right? Kindle that gift, get it going, which was given you through a prophetic message when the body of elders laid their hands on you. 
Be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. Watch your life and doctrine closely. He's encouraging Timothy to be disciplined and diligent. So in all these areas of personal growth, we need to be self-disciplined and we need to be diligent and devoted, completely devoted to growing how God wants us to grow as leaders. Finally, Paul says, persevere in them. Because if you do, you'll save both yourself and your hearers. So get this. All of this is a long process, and it takes a lot, right? And it can wipe you out. Persevere. Remember the number one ministry thing, your walk with God, where all this started today? That's your key to persevering for the long haul. Right? Keep growing until the day you're dead. Remember Jesus' example in Luke 2.52. He grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. He's the leadership example that we're going to follow. And I would encourage you to grow the best you can in all those different areas that we talked about today. I hope that helps. I hope it's good, and I hope uh, that you all get to apply it. And I hope I apply it, too, even better than before. Stephanie, will you close us in prayer? Cool. Yeah. Mm-hmm.